Hey, um, welcome again to uh, this day. This is a wrap-up sermon to the Invitation to Wholeness sermon series. Our scripture day comes from Mark 10, and our title is called The Messiah's Generous Love. The Messiah's Generous Love. This is our text. I want to read it over to you. It's a story that for anyone that's been around church for a bit is sometimes called The Rich Young Ruler. It's told in the book of Matthew, the book of Luke, the book of Mark, these three gospels that tell the story of this young ruler seeking something from Jesus. And so uh, it starts here in verse 17 of Mark 10. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before Jesus. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? Uh, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And then Jesus looked at him, and Jesus loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said it again. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed. They said to each other, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible with God. This is a powerful word today as we think about this sermon series we've been in, which we've called the Invitation to Wholeness. It's really just about our values to how to grow in the life as a Christian. For people like, hey, I'm new to the faith, or I've been a, a believer for a long time. We, we handed out a card at the beginning of the series. We just said, hey, this is what wholeness looks like, where we have an identity in Christ. We have sound relationships. We have formation, which means our faith in Jesus is growing through scripture reading and other practices. That There's an invitation to service, that disciples serve, invitation to practice justice. Uh, last week at the zoo, we kind of cast an invitation, which was evangelistic. We said the five words, which can change your life. God loves you so much. And then today is talking about generosity, how we spend our money, how we spend our time. And in many ways, this is a wrap-up sermon because we're going to talk about service. We're going to be talking about justice. And this isn't the end of discipleship. This is just the beginning as we kind of move in to wholeness and we talk about these themes over the year ahead. And it's interesting. We talk about Juneteenth and Father's Day into school. There's so much that's coming at us. But the big thing that we want to focus on today is the Messiah's generous love. The Messiah who offers to give wholeness to anyone that asks for it. Wholeness. When I hear that word whole, it reminds me of a really funny story of one of my best friends. Uh, my, my, one of my best friends, we were living in L.A. together. He was married. I was married. Heather and I lived a couple towns over. He had uh, just gotten out of the Air Force. He was putting himself through Azusa Pacific. Bills were piling up, newly married. And uh, as the debt increased, he was praying for God to, to help provide for their needs. They needed money to pay the bills. Money. How much do we worry about money? It is such a big deal. So, you know, they're newly married and he's living into his calling, but he's stressed about money. So he's asking God to answer his prayers and then it happens. One day he gets this phone call 
And, you know, he'd been praying for, for free tuition. And then the phone call, he hears, he hears, you know, it's a little bit muffled. And he was doing a couple different things. And he heard these phrases, congratulations, you have won the whole enchilada. And he's like, praise God. Like, it, it, I was worried about money. I prayed. God did a thing. He's running around. He's yelling at his wife. He's yelling at his neighbors. Whole enchilada. Woohoo! This is happening. Like, debt free, all the things. And then the phone crackled into his ears. This might have even been like a home phone, like on the wall, or maybe a, you know, one of these things. Sir, you didn't hear me, sir. No, sir, you, you didn't understand. I'm calling from the neighborhood Mexican restaurant, the whole enchilada, to inform you you won a free burrito. Never has a free burrito been such bad news, right? He thought he was getting the whole thing, all of his money where he saw. What he was offered was a free meal. And I love this story, and I love that friend. But the, the truth behind it is that sometimes money becomes a real block to us growing as disciples, for us living into our calling. It can be a block into our marriages or into our parenting or into our jobs, in any of these things. And, and to make a segue from that story of the whole enchilada and, and the rich young ruler that I'm going to preach from today is, I, w- I want to invite you actually, because for some of you, many of you, you've heard this story before. Um, I want to invite you into the story, because sometimes we judge that person who like came and kneeled before Jesus um, but there's an invitation to think about our own stories. For some of you, yeah, money is a real worry right now. So this is like, oh, what does God want to say about my money? For others, maybe money's not the biggest challenge. It's time. You are time starved. You would rather give an hour, you'd rather give $100 than an hour of your time somewhere because there's not enough time. For others of you, there's other pieces of your invitation to, to more of Christ that maybe this sermon today is going to spark something in you. Because the, the young ruler, he was trying to follow the rules to faith, but he'd missed the heart of faith. He had missed the heart of the Messiah. And you're going to see in the text today, it's, I, like I learned things this week as we studied the Bible that I'd never seen before. This guy was offered the whole thing, not just a free burrito. He was actually offered the whole thing. He, like, he might have been the 13th disciple. 13 times in the scriptures, Jesus says, come follow me. And very, very rarely does someone leave the feet of Jesus change. This guy was gripping something instead of the lordship of Christ. And he walked away broken. See, the things that we cling to above Christ can leave us broken shells of ourselves. And there's this invitation in today's text to find your own story, not from a place of judgment, but just a place of consideration. How am I spending my time, men in the room, how are you spending your time as fathers, or as partners in relationship, for, for everyone in the room, how do we spend our time? How do we spend our money? How am I living my life? Am I, am I following my dreams? Because we are meant to be living this verse 27 marked in with God, all things are possible. So we're going to look at the kind of, um, just the, the request that this young man made on Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus' response. There's so much in there. And then we're going to look at this reality, kind of what happens after the man walks away. To no surprise, this could be a sermon series that I've prepared today for you. So I'm like always like, Jesus, fit a week's worth of content into the next 27 minutes. But the big thing is, and I, and I believe it to be true, 
there's somebody in this room or somebody that's watching online that this might be the most important word you've ever heard because God wants you to think about your own life today and the way in which you prioritize. Are you living your dream? Are you following after the Messiah who loves you so much? So, let me just give you a really simple structure. Let's look at the first couple verses of this. This is the request where this man asks Jesus, can you help me? Essentially, he says, can you help me get whole? Like, can you give me the whole eternal life? I want it all. This is verse 17, Mark 10. I hope you brought your Bible. You're looking online. Jesus started his way. Man runs up to him, falls on his knees. Every detail with this text is so loaded with meaning. From his knees, he says, can you Help me, Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God. I'm going to unpack that in a minute. And then Jesus gives him the commandments. Not all of them, but just some of them. The ones that relate to other human beings. You know these commands. You shan't murder, commit adultery, steal, false testimony, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. Just, just the commandments about our relations with other humans. I'm going to unpack that in a minute too. And Jesus says, you know it. I've kept all these rules since I was a boy. So about, about this man first. Matthew calls him young. Luke calls him a leader or a ruler. Mark, the simple theologian, just calls him a man. We in church settings often call this story the story of the rich young ruler. The posture of this leader, this young man, is he's on his knees. This is really helpful to, to just consider and create compassion for him. Like the last thing we do is read this verse like, man, what a fool. That guy had the whole thing and he settled. For... No, it's like, man, this is sometimes my life too. He, he comes and he's on his knees and he's asking Jesus a question, the question. Now people have asked all sorts of questions to Jesus in his ministry. Jesus, like, where does your authority come from? Are you king of G- the Jews? What's the most important rule? Even what is truth? Pilate will ask him. But no one has asked this question. This is my study. This is the golden ticket question. This is the question that everyone should ask Jesus. When you, like, you're face to face with Jesus, what should you ask? Ask this one. What can I do to e- inherit eternal life? How, how can I be grafted into forever? I want to be with you forever. Like, he's on his knees asking the best question. And I mentioned it here in the introduction, but like very, very rarely, you'll even hear me say in messages sometimes, no one leaves the feet of Jesus unchanged. I've said that. I didn't tell you the truth. This man leaves the feet of Jesus unchanged. This man gets this offer into being able to follow Jesus in this intimate setting and he misses it. Like we miss things. I'm yelling already and we're seven minutes in. Just deep breathe. Take it easy. It's a big day. You don't want to scare the people. We miss so much when we cling to things above God. Oh, you people, because the guy on stage is doing it perfect. No, we people, we can miss so much. And all of us are being asked in this text to reprioritize. What do we cling to? What is holding us back from the whole enchilada, from the whole life of Christ? That is, if you're, if you're here and you're like, I don't know if I'm a Jesus follower, that's so, like, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're watching online. This text is a bit of a discipleship text. This is a text for people saying, 
I am declaring I want to follow Jesus, then does my life match my priorities? And if this was my last message I ever gave to you, I would probably want to say something along the, and it's not. So I was like, why do you say that? I don't, I just want you to get this heart of things. Our lives must be matched with the priorities we espouse. The life we lived inside our home, inside our inner space of our heart, is the life of faith. It's really easy to get up and give a speech. It's much, much harder to live the disciple journey. And this man sits here, and he's like, how do I get the whole thing? And then he misses it. And you'll see here in just a minute that Jesus is going to offer himself to, like nothing about this text should push us away from Jesus of like, is Jesus playing games with him? No, Jesus is going to invite him, but he's going to challenge him. The life that we dream of will come with us responding to challenge. The life that we want of more Jesus will challenge our mediocrity will challenge our everydayness, will challenge our selfishness, will challenge the ways in which if, if, if left to my own devices, I create gods in my own image. That could be money, it could be time, it could be having, you know, you can fill in the blank, all of us are different. And so the life of a Jesus follower is daily falling before Jesus to say, Jesus, change me today and make me more like you. And I'm telling you, church, When we live this kind of discipleship journey, the world changes. Because people say like, okay, they're not just like preaching sermons. They're living lives of justice and service and love and compassion. We're we're living the whole enchilada life. And I'm firmly convinced that the 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth, the reason we don't see more change in society is oftentimes because we've struggled to live the values that we hold on to. I'm reading this book about the Father's love and just trying to go deeper and deeper into the Father's heart. I said yesterday, I'm sorry, last week at the zoo, I said, you know, faith is something we think about. It's true, it is. The transforming of our minds, Paul talks about. But it's certainly never without being something that we experience. This transformation of our heart that we would be people experiencing the living God. And in this book about the Father's love, it's, it talks about this. Let me read you a little quote. It says, this is God's method to changing the world. There's no magic formula. Lasting transformation happens when the power of God's love works in the hearts of people, through the lives of people, in the midst of real life. How do we change a nation? Nations will be transformed when communities are transformed. Communities will be transformed when churches are transformed. Churches will be transformed when families are transformed. Families will be transformed when people are transformed. It begins with his work in you. He wants to work through you to reproduce his life and the lives of others. He wants to work through you to bring healing to broken hearts. Before you can be a vessel of that life, healing and freedom, though you have to first know it for yourself. And it's found in the heart of the Messiah who loves you so much. This is the story that we're invited into. It's an awesome story. So this is the request. Man's on his knees. How do I get the whole thing? This is the response. I'm sorry, the reaction from Jesus. His, his reaction. His generous, loving reaction for this young man. Jesus, of course, knows how the story's going to end, but he doesn't withhold anything. Jesus never withholds his love from us. 
In verse 21 of Mark 10, Jesus looked at him, and Jesus loved him. One thing, he, one thing you lack, Jesus said, is go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then, come follow me. Come follow me. He, he says those words. It's only the 13th time he says them in the scriptures. Everyone else becomes one of his disciples, the 12. Come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, just a word. We're going to talk about money in just a bit. This text is not not about money. It, it, it is. We're going to talk about it because for so many of us, myself included, money becomes something we can grip onto and worry about or manage, mismanage. It becomes an obstacle to marriages, families, faith. So it's certainly a, a text that deals with money. We will deal with that. But it's also a text about anything that keeps us away from the loving image of Christ and of Christ looking lovingly at us because we put obstacles between us and wanting to be seen by God. So Jesus looks at the man and Jesus loves him. The word looks in Greek is very powerful. It's this Greek word emblepein, which is kind of an accentuated of a normal looking that looking intently, examining, or looking deeply. So Jesus is like he really looks at this man. He really sees this man. And then he loves him. And the Greek word for loves is not the friend love, philio, or the contract uh, love. No, this is agape love. This is the deepest form of love in the scriptures. It, Jesus loves him. The Greek is agapen. It's, it's the highest, most burning. It is the burning heart of Christ. It is the whole enchilada. Jesus looks at this man and sees him as he is. And though he's gripping things, Jesus never withholds anything. And Jesus is like, everything I have, I'm giving to you. I'm going to give it all. I'm not going to withhold anything. I I can see those barriers. I can see those obstacles. And nothing will keep you from my love. All I am going to ask of you is to follow me. All I want to challenge you is that which you withhold from me. And if you're willing to really follow, if you're willing to really examine, man, I've got nothing but an invitation for you. Come and experience the heart of Christ. Come and experience the love of God. And this is why that for someone in this room, this might be the most important sermon you've ever heard. Because that invitation is your invitation today. Jesus looks at you and Jesus loves you. And you are invited to experience the burning heart of Christ for you. And... When you respond to say, Jesus, I do want to follow you. Jesus wants to challenge you. He loves you too much to leave you unchanged. He loves you too much to see you cling to things that will become an idol or a God in your life. Things like money. Things like time. Just like my love for you is for you to experience the whole life. We were studying it this week, and Anna, uh, who does operations and children's ministry, we were studying it. We meet all the pastors of Bethany, and we study in a room on Mondays, and we kind of write our sermons together. And Anna, I loved it. She said, you know, Jesus, he doesn't give him the side eye here. Like, come on. You know, like, Jesus offers his whole heart. And she said, she's like, Jesus says these words, come follow me. And how many times does that even happen in in the scriptures? And I looked up, it was 13. 
And it was like, Anna helped me see what I had missed studying up to that point of like, he was invited to be one of the disciples. It almost was like the 13. It doesn't have the same ring as the 12, right? Jesus and the 13. But uh, he, was, he was given that kind of invitation. That was unusual. Because remember like the demoniac and one of the G- Jesus stories, they sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and they encounter a man who's in the tombs and he's cut himself, he's crazy, but God's love seeks to restore our fractured minds. And so Jesus heals him and then the guy says, I want to get in the boat with you, I want to come with you. Do you remember that story? What does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, go home. Because most of the time, our best ministry needs to happen inside our homes. And that man, Jesus is like, no, I don't, I don't need you in the boat. I don't need a 13th then. I want you to go home. And then later when Jesus comes back to that region, there's tons of Christians. And scholars speculate that that demoniac became an evangelist. Because when God changes you and restores you, you can't help but tell other things. Most of the time, Jesus is not calling us to a platform. He's sending us into our homes to say, I want you to live the values that you say you have. Just come and if you're married, have a great marriage. Pray with your spouse. And when you fail, because you will, say sorry and do it again. Parents, be great parents. Pray with your kids. Read the scriptures. Do your best to honor God in your home. Like most of our ministry will call us into our homes. This guy got the invitation to have the whole thing And then he missed it. He missed it. We miss so much. My daughter graduated high school last night. Not going to cry. Not going to do it. Nope. I'm going to tell a different story, actually, because yesterday watching her graduate was just a real joy. She's an incredible kid, and it just goes so fast, so fast. I was just thinking how much, as a father, and my desire to have this dream life of loving God and loving others in my home, but I miss it a lot of times. We can miss it. We miss so much. And um, I don't want to miss it anymore. I want to try to be present. I want to worship God. I want to be a great husband, great father. And then everything that happens outside my home could be a bonus. Like most of our ministry, remember what I just said, needs to happen in our home, that we would live the values that we say that we believe. This is a story from a couple of years ago, and some of the guys that went to the men's camp at Malibu a couple of years ago heard the story, but we took our family up to Malibu, and that's a Young Life camp in Canada, and Heather and I got invited to teach on marriage up there to the couple hundred men that had gathered. It was quite fun, and we got to bring our kids. There's no kids at men's Malibu because men are away and studying God and having fun, and it's not really a family camp setting. Um, but we got to bring our kids, and so our kids were kind of watching all the, you know, the talks and like the funny games and all this and that. And um, when we got there, one of the first things we did, this is kind of an emotional story for me, um, just because I want, I want to be that kind of dad. I want to be that kind of pastor. I want us to be living that kind of life, right? But one of the first things that uh, happened, my oldest son, um, he said, there's a Frisbee golf course. And uh, he's like, hey, can we, can we play frisbee golf? We're there for like three days. I'm like, not now. Because like, we're getting there. We're getting unpacked. Like, there's all these men. They're going to be there. I was both a cabin leader, and Heather and I were speaking. And, um, you know, it was a great camp. Heather and I got to teach on marriage. It's something we really enjoy. And 
got to see a bunch of men from Bethany really encounter deeper faith in Christ. But a couple times during that weekend, Kincaid said, hey, Dad, can we go to the Frisbee golf course? And I kept missing it. I was like, no, because, you know, your mom and I got this thing, or I got this thing. I'm like doing ministry and missing the Frisbee golf. And, um, and we left without ever playing Frisbee golf. And uh, the next year, we took men up to Malibu. And, uh, you know, same thing. I'm a leader. Guys are there. It's all good. And we walked past the Frisbee golf, and I remembered it a year later. Like, oh, you were too busy last year to sit and play with your son. And I couldn't fix it. I was at Malibu for like three, four days. And it was part of that weekend where God was working in my life. Scott, where are you missing it? Where are there places where you're like, you know, speak the words fine, but are you living the words? Are you living the godly life? And this is an ongoing journey for me. I'm just bringing you guys into. We've got to be living the values out of what we say we believe into the world. And when we do, the world changes. We don't, we don't want to miss it. Like this guy was offered the 13th disciple role, and he walks away sad. For me, I got home from Malibu. The first thing I did is find my son. He's like a year older. I'm like, hey, do you want to play Frisbee? He's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> you know? I think we did it anyway, but we can miss a lot. This text calls us back. Don't miss the moment. Don't miss what God's asking you as a father, as a Christian, as a mother, as a woman, as a, man, as a young person in school right now, as an older person in retirement. This text te- teaches all of us. We're called to not miss it. And I just will finish with this. The reality that all of us in life of faith, because I challenge you, I said this is a bit of a discipleship test, text. We need a reorientation. The, the end of this story, Jesus looks at the man as he walks away sad, and then Jesus turns and changes his gaze. This man misses the invitation because he's got this obstacle. He's clinging to his wealth. And Jesus then, in verse 23 of Mark 10, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed and discouraged probably. And they said, well, then who can be saved? And then Jesus looked at him and said, With man or with humans, it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. All things. So Jesus takes his eyes off the young man who's just missed the invitation to follow him and have the life of adventure and passion that he dreams because he was clinging to something. And then he, he makes it a teachable moment. And he gets really concrete about money. He says two times here, it's really hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I said earlier, this, this text is about more than money, but it's not about less than money. Because for a large majority of Christians, money can be, it could be a, a stopping block to God's lordship. Jesus had quoted the, you know, some of the, of, the great, of the Ten Commandments to the young ruler, and he's like, I've followed the rules. I've done it. And then Jesus had looked at him and said, yeah, but you cling to money above me. You've made money an idol. And Jesus, more and more and more in his ministry, he's, he's prioritized people that were marginalized, women and widows and orphans and fatherless and people and poor. Even in Luke, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, because Jesus is teaching Christians that it's sometimes easier to grab hold to God when your hands are empty. It's sometimes it's easier to just say, I'm so desperate for life change. But when our hands start to fill up and we get busy and we have more possessions and we have more things to manage, sometimes it's harder to say, Jesus, you can have my life, 
You can have my money. You can have my time. You can have my talents. Jesus says it's harder for a camel to get through the eye of the needle. There is a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle gate. And when camels would come into the city of Jerusalem loaded with spices and goods and the camels would actually have to duck and there's people everywhere in the marketplace in Jerusalem. It's that kind of chaos. Some scholars are divided that that was a gate named in the ninth century. Some are like, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. But you get the point. Jesus is saying, it's really, really, really difficult if you have a lot of money to not let it become a God in your life. However, lots of places in the scriptures, God uses people with financial means to do great blessing for the ministry. The issue is not about money. It's about lordship. It's about living values. There's a guy in the New Testament, Joseph of Arimathea. He actually went when Jesus was crucified and had enough money to, to go to the government and buy the tomb that Jesus would be you know, resurrecting out of. That took real money. In the New Testament, Lydia, uh, you know, Gaius, other people that use their homes and their resources to be a great blessing to the kingdom. So Jesus isn't saying, like, just be impoverished and, you know, be unhoused. He's not saying that. He's not making an idol out of even not having money. He's just saying, if you're going to be a follower, I want you to lay everything on the line. I want you to follow me. And for many of us, we can, we can cling to money. It can become an idol. So practically, what does that look like? We have, you know, here at church, uh, we have, you know, back in the day, kind of pre-COVID, we'd pass the offering plates. But more and more, we have an app called PushPay. And for our family, we've just set ourselves every time we get paid to just give 10% to the church right then. Because we don't wait for the extra at the end of the month. Proverbs says, give out of your first fruits. Both Deuteronomy and Leviticus talk about a 10% that you would give back to the Lord, that the Lord has blessed you. So when we're generous with God, it's not like, well, you know, I'm a great person. I'm going to give you 10% of my income. No, it's a reality that we say, God, you gave me everything. Without you, I'd have nothing. So we give first and then live off the rest. And that's what that push pay app allows you to do because you can set up one time a month or two times a month. It's very practical. Um, what Heather does with her, uh, with her work, she keeps a fund where then when special needs come of a missionary or a ministry that she, she, I mean, Heather's got twice the generous heart that I have. So she's constantly modeling, working hard, saving money that then when special needs arise. But we're called to be giving back to God to be generous with our time and our money. On time, um, this morning we got to pray with, there was about like 40 volunteers this morning because we're going to have this party out here. And over the next six months, we're going to be talking about this thing called Team North, which Anna has built, but we're going to continue to like, we don't just want like you to volunteer. We want to serve together. And we believe, like even this morning, we got to pray with people that showed up early. And it's so encouraging. When you are giving back to God some time to serve the church, your own life is blessed. My life has been transformed when I've opened up my hands with my time or my money. So again, generous. Where we, If we're going to live the values that we're going to be a Jesus follower, we're going to say, I'm not going to miss it. I'm not going to miss the moment when my kid says, hey, Dad, do you have a moment to play with me? I'm not going to miss the moment to just give back when God has given so 
richly to us financially so we give back to the church to be able to bless our six locations in the city or our missionaries around the world or special opportunities arise to bless special ministries we're not gonna we don't want to miss that moment it's an imperfect journey but it's one that we come to all the time the call to generosity is a call to constantly evaluate am i living my values am i living my values Look what Jesus says at the very end as we close here. Jesus says, with humans, impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The life that you desire of significance and impact happens from that posture of kneeling before Jesus and then open up your hands to say, Jesus, help me evaluate the things where I'm out of alignment and I'm not living my values. Or I'm not living my, my dream where I'm not able to make a big impact into the city because I'm just clinging on to other things. And, and speak from that place of encouragement. I, I just close with a brief story from, uh, we're talking about justice today a bit too as we celebrate Juneteenth. And one of my favorite stories to celebrate the impact of kind of African-American ministry is at the end of the I Have a Dream speech that we know it to be. Martin Luther King was doing the, wa- the march on Washington and he's getting through all the rules and he's getting through everything and he's feeling a little bit sluggish and he'd been operating in his ministry in churches talking about a dream for racial reconciliation from the power of God and he was holding it back that a bit that day uh, on the march on Washington. And then there was this woman, Mahalia Jackson, who was a gospel singer, because again, the church is constantly counteracting the forces of racism. A gospel singer who sang that day on the march in Washington. And she could see Martin was just laboring a little bit in her speech. And she yelled from the stage, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And so it was unscripted But at the end of Martin Luther King's now famous, I have a dream speech, he just started to share his dream, his belief of a group of people living their values. And he began, I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley should be exalted, every hill and mountain should be made low, and the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight. What's he quoting? He's quoting the Bible. And I love this Mahalia Jackson story as a woman that got to say, live your values, tell them about your dream. Don't stop believing that this invitation to wholeness will change everything about you. And by the power of the gospel, will we be people reconciling, speaking truth to power about justice, being people living out service with our time, people giving generously with our money, all of it, so that God would be made famous in our community when we as God's people experience that heart change and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to open up my hands to things that are blocking me. Will you help me live a dream of having impact into my family, into the city, into the nation, into the world? The world changes because that's how Jesus has made us. Let me pray for us now. God, thank you so much for a moment of celebration, a moment to just remember that you're calling us from from that place where we just want to be living a dream, God, of following you and experiencing your life within us. God, as that young man knelt before you and just missed the opportunity to be a follower because he was clinging to things before you, would that be an encouragement and a challenge in our lives, God? Are there things that we're holding on to that have become an obstacle? Are there ways that we're out of alignment right now from how you're calling us to live a life of purpose and meaning, following you with our time, 
with our, with our money, with our talents, God, with the way that we seek you. And Lord, would you allow us to be a church that was waking up to your impact in our city, experiencing this heart change and transformation by the power of your Holy Spirit. So it would be a church of impact, helping many, many, many people in our city understand your great love for them. We love you so much. In your name we pray, amen. Will you stand with us as we close in celebration and song of what God has done in our life?